everyone. Today we are talking about personal finance from ages 18 to retirement. I want to really understand the minds of young adults. So to help our economics podcast today, I brought my good friend Heather here to ask real life questions that young adults are having. So Heather, tell the listeners a little bit about where you're at in life right now. Well, I'm a senior in high school. I am college bound, going to Indiana University in the fall, and I'm really just about to start my life. So it definitely sounds like you're about to dive into the world of personal finance for the first time. It can be pretty scary and confusing. So let's talk about your main concerns. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) That's a valid point. A lot of young adults, seniors in high schools, don't. When you're 18, the most important place to start is just simply planning ahead. And now I know that's probably not what you want to hear. You're planning a lot right now for college and stuff, but it really can just be as simple as putting some money aside for later. Or you can even think about later on in life and put money into stocks or investments. But in the long run, anything you do to plan ahead will help you get financially stable. Okay, so if planning ahead is so important, what do I do once I'm financially stable or at least making a steady income? That's a great question that a lot of people have, and it always has had a ton of different answers. It really just depended on which financial advisors you talk to. But now, thanks to Harold Pollock, everything you need to know about personal finance is as easy as 10 things on an index card. If you want to read more in depth about these 10 points I'm going to share with you, he has his book called The Index Card. So let's start talking about these points. First point is that you want to save 10 to 20% of your income. Obviously, this is a pretty good chunk, and it means that you have to cut a lot of expenses. And for some people making a lower income, 10 to 20% is nearly impossible, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. But anything that you can put aside will help. Just 10 to 20% will provide the most comfortable safety net if something would happen to that income. So now two, it's self-explanatory. You think more people would do it. It's to pay your credit card bill in full every month. But only 30% of Americans are doing this, according to Pollock. You can easily reduce the amount of credit card fees you have to pay back if you just use more cash. I know it's not like the world that we're living in today to use cash. Everyone wants to just swipe, but it really does help. And then you want to find out, if you have multiple credit cards, which one has the highest interest rate. And you want to stop using that one because that's the one that's going to be harder to pay back later on. Now, number three, you want to max out a 401k or other employee benefits. Obviously, high schoolers usually don't have those types of things yet. But once you get there in life, it's important that you put the most money you can in while you have it. So when you retire, you can get the most money out. Four, do not buy individual stock. Individual stock is those stocks of just certain companies. You don't want to put all your money into just one company. Only 1% of Americans can perform well doing that. Instead, number five, you want to buy and hold inexpensive mutual funds. Mutual funds are basically the opposite of individual stocks. They are much safer because it's putting a little bit of money into many different companies and many different stocks. So if one performs poorly that day, you're not losing a ton of money. Now, number six, make your financial professional agree to a fiduciary standard. I know it's a funny word and it's like, what does fiduciary even mean? But it means that instead of having a financial professional who is suitable, 
that you're going to have one that looks out for you. A fiduciary standard is someone that has your well-being and your family's financial success at their utmost priority, where a suitable financial advisor tries to lead you to personal investments that go straight back to them and they start getting a portion of that money for themselves or their company. Number seven, buy a home when you're financially ready. I know it's hard because young adults are always being pressured to buy a home as fast as possible, but if you think about it, you can cut expenses and you can stop using credit cards, but you can't just stop paying your 30-year mortgage. You can sell it, but it's a lot harder to do than just ending a lease. So definitely make sure you can actually afford that 30-year mortgage every month. Eight, splurge on insurance. Pollock said that you want to be covered for the $50,000 problem and not just the $500 problem. So go ahead and get the highest deductible you can, and it will help you out in the long run. Now, number nine. This one is controversial, but can still be very important. You should support the social safety net. That is all those government programs that help people in a time of need. You never know if you'll need to get back on your feet and need to use those programs for a short while. And number 10, last but not least, is simply to remember this index card. It's easier said than done, but if you just follow one step at a time, it will help so much. So that all sounds great, but my mom has always told me to save up and buy a house as soon as possible. But I feel more comfortable renting a house, which is better. There are, of course, pros and cons to both, as there is anything. Uh, renting is less expensive and a lot easier to move since it's less of a commitment. But you'll never see a return on all the money you invest every month, and you don't own the property, so you can't make major changes. Now, buying a house can give you a sense of stability. You can see the money returned that you invest into your home, and you can make major changes or renovations as you please. It is quite a bit more expensive, though, and most people do have that 30-year mortgage we talked about, so it's definitely more long-term than a lease. Okay, cool. That is some great information to keep in mind for later, but what about the elephant in the room? Paying for college. I've been trying to save up what I can, and my parents try to help as well, but it's still really hard on all of us. Yes, definitely. College is a burden to pay for, of course. It's never easy. It's possible that you might have signed up for 21st century scholars in middle school, but only a fraction of us did. So if not, there are still a lot of great options out there. The main one is to fill out as many scholarships as possible. You never know if you don't try, so even if it seems like it might not be for you or you think you might not get it, if you meet the qualifications, definitely just go for it. And after those scholarships and you fill out that FAFSA, and it still doesn't cover the cost, you can always get a student loan. I'm not going to need a credit card, am I? I feel like I'm fine without it. Well, they definitely could be a useful tool. It makes it easy to access your money, you have more purchasing options like online shopping, and you can boost your credit score, which will be very helpful later on. And you can just make payments instead of paying for large purchases all at once. It can be confusing, though, because it comes with a ton of rules, and it's tempting to overspend when all you have to do is swipe. Then late fees can pile up with interest, but the scariest part about credit cards is the risk of fraud. But there are certain precautions you can take to prevent that. So what about bank accounts? Like, what's the difference between a bank and a credit union? 
A lot of people have the, that question, and it's actually just as simple as banks are for-profit organizations. They try to make money off of your money, where credit unions are non-profit. What about all those acronyms like FDIC, DDA, and CD? Like, what do they mean? Also a very good question, and a lot of people don't know, and it's very confusing to people who are just getting in to make their first bank account. The FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and it is a federal organization who preserves and promotes public confidence in the U.S. economy. A lot of people lost money and lost trust in the U.S. banks, so this just helps to make sure that if the economy does crash again, that we're not going to be totally bankrupt. Now, the DDA. A DDA is just a demand deposit account. It's a different term for a checking account. CD. A CD is a certificate of deposit. It is a type of savings account that has a fixed interest rate and a fixed date of withdrawal. That's called the maturity date. You usually don't have monthly fees, but you just put your money in, wait till that maturity date, and it's earning interest, and then you get more money than you put into it. I've also heard that there's different types of money. How is that so? Well, there is two different types of money, actually. There's M1 and M2. M1 is also called narrow money, and that's all the tangible coins, dollars, checks that's in circulation right now. Any type of money equivalent that is easily convertible into cash. And then there's M2, which includes all of M1, plus short-term time deposit in banks and 24-hour money market funds. So that's just basically M1 plus any type of stock or investments that you have. So what about interest? Is it good or bad? I hear it being talked about in a different light all the time. Definitely, because it really just depends. It can be both, actually. Interest is a small percentage of a chunk of money that has been borrowed that has to be paid back. So if you put in some money and the government borrows it, you're going to get more money when they pay it back over a period of time. Now, you can earn interest by just storing it in almost any form of government institution that earns interest, like credit cards, bonds, bank accounts. However, just as when you invest money with the government, if you borrow money from the government, there are interest rates on the loan that you have to pay back. Interest is good because if you put money into a government institution and they have to borrow it, you can earn money back by just having it sitting in a bank. So that helps you in the long run. But interest can be bad when you're unable to repay the loans that you took out and then additional late fees pile up and then before you know it, you're bankrupt. All right. Any more questions? No, I think I really do have a good understanding of economics and personal finance now. Thank you.